Hosting for this podcast is generously provided by Transistor at Transistor.fm. You are listening to Storygram Podcast Network. Cause I'm off to the funny farm Drowned out the blues with booze Now it's off to the funny farm I got news for you Now I'm off to the funny farm Cascade crisis Too much tension and That's right, it's Gothtober and we're off to the funny farm. <laughs> um, I am Takeshi, with me I have Santos. Welcome to the funny farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. And today we're going to talk about Call of the Night. I'm pretty excited to talk about this. I actually watched something called Anime Recapped and it happened to be on there and... It sounded so interesting that, yeah, I felt like I, we needed to watch it. And I sent Santos the video. Yes. Probably didn't watch it, but to me, it was pretty good. I didn't. I don't watch half <laughs> the videos. I'm a terrible video watcher. But I do have to say, it fits our theme so well because. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I was very happy with that. Yeah, for sure. It's always hard to find like goth animes, especially something that's not all like just horror or something. <laughs> And yeah, because we're not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We'll, we'll probably watch it if it's compelling, but that's about it. It's going to be like, it's to offer more than just violence or good. scariness. You know what I mean? Like gore or something like that. It has to be good. Um, yeah, it has to be like top shelf horror. And I don't even know if horror counts as goth. I'm not sure. It gets There's messed overlap. in there. There's yeah. an overlap. But I don't think it's like equals i don't think it should be but for some reason it always does come out there and mm -hmm. or get meshed together it's like no jason and freddie are not goth i'm sorry guys no. it's just no they're just bros with attitudes yeah and you can be goth and like horror but if you like horror it doesn't mean you are goth <laughs> right okay? Somewhat. I mean, God, Coil. I remember Coil did the soundtrack to, oh, God, that hell thing with Pinhead in it. Hellraiser. Hellraiser. Did yeah. they do the new one or the old, the original? The original. They did the soundtrack oh. to that. So I guess there's some crossover here and there. That's so. what I mean. There can be crossover. I just think it goes more like goth can get into horror, but horror isn't goth by nature right right for Depending sure because there's different yeah there's some overlap but yeah you found something yeah very fits. exciting the bill the because it's like what's not super horror but still has the goth kind of feel to it exactly exactly and it's called call of the night if i didn't say it before i'd say it now it is a romantic comedy supernatural and i'll agree with that the manga was released august 28th of 2019 it is still going on it is 13 volumes it's written by koto yama that's all it says one name koto yama okay and it doesn't say who did the art it's on a Shonen Sunday comics. Oh, Weekly Shonen Sunday. I wish there was more about them, but there's not. <laughs> We're going to talk about the anime. It was released July 8th of 2022, and it went till September 30th of 2020. It is 13 episodes. How many episodes? 13. 13. And then it's pretty recent then, so it came out this year. Yes. And I'm not sure if it's like basically one episode is one volume of the manga, but I doubt it. It's probably like maybe five or six mm -hmm. or something. I have no clue. It is directed by Tetsuya 
Miniyashi. He's the chief director. Let me pull up the translate here. Our third member. Tetsuya Miyanishi. Miyanishi, okay. And then in American. Tetsuya Miyanishi. It's directed by them. And Tomoyuki Itamura. Tomoyuki Itamura. Tomoyuki Itamura. What? Always he sounded like two totally different. <laughs> Same name. <laughs> Same name. I just kind of messed them together. It seems like he has done quite a bit. Call of the Night looks like the most popular one. I've never heard of any of the other ones. So, go team. <laughs> <laughs> And music was done by Yoshiaki Diwa. I don't know who that is either. Let's see here. Let's put it. Is that like the theme song or whatever? Yeah, and all the music. The music was actually pretty good too. So we'll hold on. Yoshiaki Diwa. Yoshiaki Diwa. Oh man, I'm the bad here. And it was done at Linden Studios. So the plot's pretty basic in a way. Well, that's not basic, but it is a romantic comedy. So basically, there's this 14-year-old named uh, Ko Yamamuri, and he just hates middle school with a burning passion. And he doesn't want to go anymore, so he decides to go outside at night and kind of hang out and figure out what's going on during the nightlife. And he's kind of feeling all this energy and because it feels like he could do whatever he wants. And then he's like, well, I could just probably buy a beer at this vending machine. And then this creepy looking girl goes, aren't you a little bit young for that? (laughs) (laughs) What's the drinking age in Japan? I think it's 20. Oh, I could be wrong. And so he did try to run away, but she caught him. And then she starts giving him like philosophy about like why nightlife is so much better than anything else and just silly things like that. And Mm -hmm. she lures him to her house or her apartment and says, I'll help you sleep. And when she thought that he was asleep he was just kind of pretending to sleep and then she like her fangs came out and started sucking his blood but he was actually awake <laughs> and instead of him really like freaking out or whatever he pretty much said well i want to be a vampire can you turn me into a vampire oh yeah the vampire's name is uh naza nua <laughs> god damn it <laughs> Here, let me. What is it? Naza Nera. Uh, hold on. Nazuna Nanakusa. Yeah, Naza Nuna or. Nazuna Nanakusa. Nazuna. Nazuna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nazuna. Yeah. And she pretty much said, "Well, it's a little hard for you to become a vampire because the only way you can become a vampire is this. you have to fall for me, and then I'll make you my offspring." But Unfortunately, Ko doesn't really know anything about love because he's still a little bit young. He doesn't understand anything about relationships. So that's pretty much the premise of the whole entire series. It is. Um, What's funny about it, was he an insomniac too or no? He couldn't sleep. He couldn't really sleep. He's kind of intense. At first, I was like, what's his deal? And her. Like, I have to say, like, when I first met both of them, I was like, Bleh. like, because he's kind of intense and he's like real, like, repressed. And so, like, about, like, I don't know, like, if it's just because he's young and, like, he's supposed to be a certain, act a certain way or whatever. So it's like, oh, I wish I could do, because she's very, like, nonchalant about how she acts and acts very casually. And so he's just like, oh my God, like, he can't let go. Like, she can. And then, yeah, like you said, he doesn't really understand love or anything like that. But she's kind of dirty. Like she's like, we'll say kind of sexual innuendos. But then if anything about romance comes up, she gets super embarrassed. Like she thinks the whole him falling in love with her thing is super embarrassing. She's like, don't talk about that. Like she gets like, so then all of a sudden she's more childlike than you realize. You're like, oh, she's on the younger side too. Something like that. Yeah. But they don't ever disclose her age. 
Okay. And then she massages and she's a cuddle buddy. Oh, she's a massage therapist? Yeah, she's a masseuse. I didn't know that. I didn't know what she did. Yeah, that's how she makes money. It was so funny because as soon as I was like, how does she make money? They kind of address it like the next episode. And is she like something who can't be seen in the daylight? Uh, Well, you know, that's the weird thing. Like there are times with of her during the day or inside the apartment Mm -hmm. and the sun's on her. That's what I thought. I was like, they didn't really. Okay. I'll disclose. I've only watched four episodes (laughs) of 13. So I have like lots of questions and I really want to watch more. I was worried about watching this because Takeshi gave me like a very loose, see view of it. Like he's like, oh, this young boy and then this older woman. I was like, what is going on in this? I have no idea what you're talking about. And then when I watched it, I was like, this is pretty good. Like they're becoming friends. Yeah. And then you kind of find out like he doesn't like school. He didn't think he had any friends, but then he didn't he kind of turn down a girl in a flashback or something or at the beginning he like i don't want to date you like so he didn't have like interest in girls yet yeah so he's just kind of finding that out about himself and there's an additional caveat too he has one year to fall in love with her oh it's timed okay and then he has that other friend that's i got to that point where what's her name i want to call her akito but that's probably not her name uh, Akira. Yeah, Akira. Definitely childhood friend. She seems nice. She seems nice. But the cool thing about this series, it's not really glossy and fake. Once again, in some of these animes, they do show like the underbelly of Japan. And I think that's what the night really is for Japan, where all the bad stuff happens. Oh, because like the beginning, like I said, the first four, they show like kind of like drunk people. Yes, and there's gone. Does it keep going, kind of like exploring? Yeah, and you actually do get to meet like other vampires. And it was so funny. Oh. Like, once again, I was like, is there other vampires? And then the next episode, you do meet other vampires. Okay. It's a very interesting series. It's a lot of fun. It there- made me laugh. There's like some good laughs. It's really crazy because sometimes when I was watching it, I was thinking, well, what other powers does this vampire have? She kind of flies around, right? Like she, they saw her leaping off buildings. She flies around, but she has other powers. You kind of learn about that too. And then you actually learn how strong she really is. And you're like, oh. And why does he want to be a vampire so bad? He just doesn't really like life right now. Yeah. He wants to be free or. And then where are his parents? They're kind of non, no shows. And then Akira is also like, you might be like, well, how are they friends? Well, she wakes up very early in the morning, like to 3 a.m. To, to go to school or something. They're pretty much like latchkey kids. Yeah. And you can tell there's some vibing between them, um, Ko and Akira. Like, And you can see uh, the vampire not particularly in these first ones. She gets jealous. She's getting jealous. She gets like, a little you're jealous. Like, oh, Okay, like I'm seeing a little love triangle forming potentially. Maybe it's just a friendship. Yeah, you'll see. I would recommend it. I mean, there is a lot of weird innuendos the whole entire time. And it's weird because once again, I was like thinking, okay, so where are the powers going to show up? And then when am I going to see other vampires? And I'm surprised it's not that violent. And there's a scene in there. You're like, oh, wow, that just happened. Like a violent scene? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple. Looking forward to violence. You're telling me there's violence. There's more. Is there more like, you know, like their relationship develops kind of thing? Do we find out anything about? No. No. You find out a little bit about more vampires and then that's about it. And then. I mean, there's like, you said like 30 volumes of manga, right? There's only 13. What? Yeah. Volumes though. Yeah. Only 13. So I don't know. And it's still going on. Epi- there's 13 episodes, but isn't there like a ton no, of No, 13 writing? volumes. 13. Oh. Two. But that can be a lot, can't it? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I, so I, maybe this like series is just the beginning and it's going to have like season after season to reveal. I don't know how they're going to be able to milk this if they, they only have a year. Oh, you're right. So. How far are you in the season? I have one more episode left. Okay. So, so, and like how much time has gone by? Like a week? 
two weeks. Yeah, pretty year. much. Is it short? Like it's weeks long? I, yeah, it feels like it. Because the only way they can milk it is if the right the season is like a month. <laughs> they can- and then the 11th and 12th episode, it takes this weird turn. Oh. And you'll meet this other character in there. And it's really weird. And it leaves all this mystery once again. Okay, well, it's very goth. There's also very mystery... Goth. There's a boy who is brooding and upset with a life and wants to enter the darkness. I mean, he is goth. He is the most goth. And then the vampire is this girl who's like kind of campy and she wears like sexy black clothes. It's so goth. Yeah, she's very goth and she's kind of crazy because she's obsessed with his like blood in a way. Oh my God. He tastes really good. I was watching it dubbed. Oh, you watched it dubbed? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't even know it was dubbed. Oh, that's because I watched it on High Dive. That's right. How's High Dive? High Dive is confusing to sign up for. So I I'm just going to let too. you know. And maybe I'm just showing my age. But like, I wanted the free trial of the seven days, which means I had a jam on watching this so I can cancel it beforehand and start paying for another subscription. It's like $5 so a month though, right? It is only $4.99. Yeah. So, but... I, everything is four ninety nine, and now I'm like five hundred dollars deep in subscriptions. <laughs> You're right? so it's, right. It's a slippery slope. So, um, <laughs> so I signed up for it, thinking once you signed up, that meant you got the free trial. But it is not true. Then you have to sign up for the free trial. So you sign up twice. Don't put in different emails or something. Like, don't try. You are in. So that's the one thing that was annoying. You can't. I watched it on my laptop. You cannot skip the intro. You oh. cannot select next episode. And I, but it did have multiple language options and sub dub options. And I did that because I was, I don't know what I was doing. I was kind of like trying to multitask. multitask. Yeah. I was, but I was like, what was I doing? I was working on my business and I was like trying to put this stuff together. So I was like, I got to, I just felt too antsy to sit still and read my laptop. So that's why I did that. Way. And I'll tell you too, the problem with the subs, sometimes it goes by so quickly because they're talking so fast that I had to stop and go back and reread things. And that never happens. But with this one, I actually had to. I wasn't okay. using, what is it called again? High, high dive? High dive. Yeah, I wasn't using high dive. He was using something else. It's mysterious. So yeah, I wouldn't some try hack site. But high dive is H-I dive, not like H-I-D. Hi, dive. Hi, like hello, hi. And yeah. I guess it's the only competitor that's really going up against Crunchyroll. It's the only one. It's like, it's Crunchyroll who ate up Funimation, right? Yeah, which is owned by Sony. Yeah, and then their kind of claim is like, no commercials. There is no commercials. That's cool. I don't think there's anything really free though, but it's only four ninety nine, so it's pretty cheap. And it's supposedly it's quality, but I don't know that because I'm watching one thing. So I can't. <laughs> speak to it. But I think that's what they were. That I read a review around it because I didn't want to sign up for something that was just gonna be like trash. So well, Crunchyroll, there is quite a bit of controversy over them over how they are getting their subs out. Oh, really? Supposedly what they do sometimes, well, most of the time, is that they hire these kids to do the subs and they really underpay them. What if they used um, Google Translate and it was just garbage? Like it was like the worst subtitle. That would be so funny. So they have these kids do it. Like they come up with these translations maybe like an hour after the episode comes out. Or two hours after, you know, that was their guarantee, right? Yeah. And they're paying them like maybe 15 bucks an episode or something. <gasps> to be jamming out all of that. Yeah. You would think whoever made the anime would just have it. Oh, no. Subbed. Because they have the script. Do you know what I mean? Like they can just run the script. Like someone could be translating at the same time. So it comes out. In multiple places. I'm just saying we could do efficiency with this. If it's just, if it's just subbed, um, or if it's just in Japanese, I'm sure they just release it. They don't really think much of it. And then they have these kids come out and they watch it. And since they're able to understand it, they just type it out and they go, oh, I'm doing this episode or whatever. And it's pretty exciting because they're just kids and they just want to get their foot in the door. Like teenagers. Yes. With work permits. How does that work? It's a child labor. I don't know what the work laws are. I I believe it. (laughs) Okay. Well, we'll have to look into that. Hopefully Crunchyroll isn't the Nike of 
anime platform. That's what I heard. (laughs) 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 There's videos about it and everything. Oh, no. But it is the only one. We might all switch to high dive. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see. Five bucks a month. (laughs) Right. Well, I recommend it. I'm actually intrigued to keep watching it. And not only because Takeshi, you made it sound interesting, but also because I have like four days left to my free trial. And <laughs> you of all people would like this series. I, I think it's really good. Yes. It's not super cute and it's like kind of funny. It's more advanced than say some of the other animes you watch. It's definitely for teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. It's not as cute. I love it. I, it was very goth too. It's like just on point with our theme. So that's why it was fun. Exactly. Too. Like kind of campy, kind of funny. So uh, check it out and we will be right back. Storygram Network. Hello. Welcome to One Media, One Media. I'm your host, Takeshi. And with me, I have Santos. And we take two pieces of media and we take a deep dive on them. Kind of. We just talk about it. Kind of. Hi, my name is Laura Lee. And this is It's Not About Food. So it's not about food, and it's not about weight. What is it about? It's the intersection of possibility, where what-ifs and why-nots collide. Some on the cutting edge, others on the cutting room floor. It's a place I like to call The Bleed. We sip a That's right. And we are back. And what better way to almost, well, we're not bookending Gothtober, but almost the end. But Mm -hmm. talk about the godfathers of goth. We're going to talk about Bauhaus Burning from the Inside, which came out in 1983 of July 15th. It is 40 minutes. It was recorded at Rockfield in Wales. And I watched this video called Gothcast, and mm. he gave a little history on it and on Bauhaus in general. I've seen a couple other videos on them too. It's hard to find like really in depth documentaries on them, but if you think about it, they've only been together for about five years when they first started. Mm-hmm. And it started as Bauhaus 1919. That is the original name? Yeah. Yeah, and someone got smart and was like, let's edit this. Yeah, let's just call it Bauhaus. Like, no one's going to say Bauhaus 1919. Yeah, and I guess they are all pretty much high school buddies. And Daniel Ash, Kevin Haskins, and David J. they are in another band, but it broke up. And so they're like kind of quick to start up another band. And Peter Murphy had no musical experience, but they just really wanted him in, him in the band. There was some reservations by one couple of them because they were afraid that he would try to like take the rights or something like that. But yeah, after a while, they just got him in. Did they start the band in high school or after high school? Probably after high school. So after high school, most of them knew each other. Peter Murphy was not a high school friend. They are high school friends. Oh, all of them were. And then you said like he didn't have any musical inclinations, but they got him in. But the original, wait, there was kind of like an original. There was another band, but it wasn't Bauhaus 1919. It was, they had another band and it broke up. Okay. And so they had been working together. So then they were a little bit like, oh, we don't want him taking over. Except you do because he's amazing. They had some reservations. Yeah, he is amazing. Ah, He made them. I don't know. Well, (laughs) (laughs) we could get into that. And then the whole entire, I don't know how much information I should give on this or not. Blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't really know anything about it. So what's. Okay. Okay. There there is some. uh, Yeah. Okay. So they started in 1978. Their first single, of course, was Bella Lugosi's Dead. Amazing song if you don't know it please listen to it right now yeah which was released august of 1979 on small wonder records and it was listed as bauhaus with the 1919 at the time 
and with that song in general, it had like that kind of dub influence in there with the drums. Talking about Bella Gosi, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, hold. Where are they from? Oh, of course. Where do you think they're from? <laughs> the UK. Yeah, Northampton, England. Okay. So their first gig was New Year's Eve of 1978 at a pub in Cornwell Pub. Okay. Nothing more goth than a dreary English (laughs) upbringing. Of course. I mean, yeah, definitely. And then they had another single. I think it was Telegram Sam. Was there (laughs) other one? That's a T-Rex cover. Okay. But and their first actual album was In the Flat Field. It's pretty notorious. It has that a male blowing a horn. He's naked. It's in black and white. And it's pretty good. I'll be honest with you. Like, I think a lot of their recordings, except for the one we're going to really dive into, aren't that good. To me, it sounds a little janky. The recordings or like the whole album? The recordings in general, the production. Okay, the quality? Like, when you listen to it on good speakers, you could tell how thin it sounds. Like, okay. Ugh. I just want to say In the Flat Field has dark entries, which is another like huge classic of theirs. Yes. Yes. As and was entries. used, wasn't that used in goth talk on Saturday Night Live? It was. Yes, on that sketch, which is a great sketch. So everyone should see that as well. It's called Goth Talk. And I think it was Chris Kattan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the good. second album was Mask, which is funny because I guess David Che, he did the cover to it. And it looks like just some weird sketch drawing with a panda in it and a guy. Yeah, it looks like a child drew it. <laughs> like a high school kid, maybe. Yeah, okay. So the crazy thing is, too, when you look at how quickly they like brought out these albums, it was like year after year, like 1980, 1981, 1982. Mm-hmm. And then Brady and the Inside was 1983. So they released four albums in four years. That's pretty amazing. Were they still children? Like, were they in 1920? Like, are they yeah. young people? Yeah, they're still pretty young. Okay. It just gives you perspective. <laughs> but their albums are kind of long. Like, you said this album is 40 minutes, but mine says 55. Like, there's 14 songs on it. There is probably additional songs that they put on there. Because of that. Because I'm looking at it on Spotify. Yeah, here's The Dove, Departure, Sanity, Assassin, and uh, Larga Ninja, Nick. Those are additionals. That's for the reissue. I'm talking about the original. Oh, well, I guess on Spotify, it just has the reissue and it doesn't tell you that's what it is. You know, sometimes they'll say like additional, like they'll put it in parentheses, but they didn't this time. Yeah. And during, especially this album, there was definitely like a separation between Peter Murphy and the rest of the band. Was it because they were tired? Because they did four albums in four years? <laughs> well, there was that. And then people, according to a couple of videos I watched, and people were pretty much making it seem like Peter Murphy was writing all the music and the lyrics. And that wasn't true. Who is writing all the music and the lyrics? It was basically the other three. Everybody else. <laughs> I mean, he wrote some of the lyrics, don't get me wrong, but he didn't write all of the lyrics. And he wasn't even the original, like, crew of the band. Who no, he already was. Had a working... But you said, like, they were in another band before yes, and they brought yes. him in more. Like, I know he's the original of Bauhaus, but, like, of the Friends, it sounds like they've been writing together. Well, yeah. And, okay, let's let's get into that a little bit. Uh, David J. and Kevin Haskins are brothers. Oh, so they've been writing music together, playing music together for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, there was definitely some separation starting to happen. And then like they were in The Hunger as a vampire movie with David Bowie in it. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've ever seen it. It's not that good. I bet visually it's fun, though. But they are in it, mm-hmm. and it mostly focused on Peter Murphy in the beginning. And it really does set the tone. And they're, of course, singing Bella Lugosi's Dead. Or- I have seen that. I at least have seen that scene. I'm just saying the Bauhaus picture on Spotify, I'm pretty sure that's probably Peter Murphy being kind of front and centered. He looks like a vampire. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of our goth theme today is vampire. <laughs> Yeah, totally. And so he 
to his credit, he was like, yeah, I was getting so drunk with fame and people telling me I'm so big and everything. I kind of fell into it. So burning from the inside, recording it, I guess what happened was Peter Murphy, he got pneumonia. And so he had to go to, he was stuck in the hospital and he had to recover mm-hmm. and everything. And he figured, okay, well, they're writing the songs. Well, really record it when I get better and everything. No, they actually just record the whole entire album without him. Four of the songs were aren't even sang by him. Oh. And then he came in separately and recorded the vocals. <sighs> yeah, it was like that. They needed that much of a break. They were like, we're just going <laughs> to utilize his hospital time to get away from him. Yeah. So this secretly is the first Love and Rockets album. So which four songs is are he not on? He's not singing. It's pretty obvious to me anyway. Uh, probably King Volcano. Peter Murphy's voice in general, uh, if you think about it, he he kind of sounds like, a you know, when David Bowie sings those really kind of high squelchy notes, but Peter Murphy sings like that mm-hmm. the whole entire time. So David Bowie on crack. Well, he was gone crack. He was smoking or doing a lot of coke back then. A lot of stuff. But yeah, he kind of sounds like an over-exaggerated version of David Bowie. So the Melor songs, it doesn't sound like characteristic Peter Murphy. It's definitely not him. Mm-hmm. I'll have to re-listen now with that in mind. So it's pretty interesting to think that like he wasn't on some of it and... Peter Murphy always says this isn't a tr- is not a true Bauhaus album. Oh, because he felt left out. <laughs> That's sad. And then they broke up like right after or during. They're pretty much broken up after this. Oh, and then what? That's it? Yeah, they separated. And what David J, Daniel Ash, and Kevin Haskins created Love and Rockets, and Peter Murphy started his solo career. Actually, hold on here. I think it was Daniel Ash and Kevin Askins. They started Tones on Tail, and then later they created Love and Rockets. Tones on Tail is a great side project. Okay. We should put that on the list. Yeah, Tones on Tail is amazing. What are these albums from 2008 on Spotify? We'll get into that. Okay, let me know. I'm like, what is that? Like, what's going on? Well, definitely get into that because that is really funny. This is one of the bands that created other bands. This is one of your rants you went on one time. Loving Rockets to me, it's okay. It's just not Bauhaus. Tones on Tail is, they could have kept that thing going. Yeah. It's really that good. It's kind of funny because you think about like, he was in The Hunger. Also, Peter Murphy was in a Maxell cassette tape commercial. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Remember the the one where the guy's sitting back in the chair and all of a sudden like his hair is kind of going back or whatever. And it's a pretty... I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Um, do people remember cassette tapes? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Too. I do. <laughs> and she's in party was the very last video. And I guess it was done by this pretty famous director. I can't remember his name right now. And Peter Murphy was all excited that they were doing this video. And the whole entire time, the other three were just like kind of goofing off where Peter Murphy was trying to be serious. Did Peter Murphy get into them in more movies at all? Uh, that's a good question. Let me it look. Sounds like he wanted to be famous. He really did. I don't see anything else. He probably was. I wouldn't doubt it. There's this live performance with Nine Inch Nails and Peter Murphy, and it was really, oh. really, really good. Up there with David Bowie's performances with Nine Inch Nails. And didn't you send me a Bauhaus cover of it of like Ziggy Stardust? Yes, that, that was, was definitely like one of their singles that they did for the BBC. That's on my covers mix. Really, on really good. Incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they got back together in 98. I got to see them during that time. They went on tour together. Oh. Yeah, it was pretty epic. They covered some Dedekind dance songs. <gasps> wow. And then I guess they did that tour. They kind of took a break, but then got back together in 2005 to 2008. 
Uh, I think that was during the time when they played that, that Coachella where Peter Murphy does that Bella Lugosi's dead upside down. Oh, it's pretty funny. But they also played with Nine Inch Nails, toured with Nine Inch Nails. And that's where this last album came out. (laughs) It's called Mm -hmm. Going White. Supposedly, these were just all kind of just scratch ideas or whatever. It was never really intended to be a full album. There was some incident that happened that broke him up again. What? Wait, so this is just a bunch of songs they were like, remember when we wrote those and like, like let's just put them together into an album? Well, they were kind of writing new songs together in a way, mm-hmm. but it was never really fully fleshed out. Okay, like not super formalized. Yeah, it was recorded in 18 days in California. Oh, and yeah, there was some incident that happened between Peter Murphy and the other three guys, and they don't talk about what the incident was. Oh, secretive. Yes. Well, I just think after all these years, if you don't like root out that original dynamic problem that was going on, any small thing's going to tip you off if you didn't let go of some. You know what I mean? Like, let's pretend it's about Peter Murphy's ego. And he could just ask for water in the wrong way. And it could just send someone straight back to like 1983. I'm being like, this dude, <laughs> I'm yeah. not doing this again. You know, we don't know. It could be something so minor that it's just like, never mind. I don't want to do this again. So we don't know. Like, right. Right. And we don't know if they talked it out or squashed their beef from before. I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> so there was this incident Mm-hmm. And Peter Murphy would still do his thing here and there and Love and Rockets. I think the last album. Do I like any Love and Rockets? I don't think I know them. Love and Rockets is really good, actually. Sometimes I feel like they're a little overhyped, but uh-huh. that's just me. I remember in the 2000s or late 90s, people would talk about them as being like one of the best bands in the whole entire world because they made a <laughs> house song. Oh my God. I just imagine you at some party and somebody is saying that and you're just like eye rolling so hard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because they made this house song, right? So people are like, they could do whatever they want. Yeah. Actually, it was a really good song. Don't get me wrong. It was just so weird. So they were kind of accepted in the house electronic Uh music scene for this one song. But Love and Rockets is good. I think the thing that really holds it back is the 80s production. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So even them? Oh, yeah. They. I mean, it sounds... There was always this weird kind of thin sound. That's the only way they explain it with, like, the 80s in general. So, it, it, yeah, it happened to them, too. <laughs> <laughs> is it a technology thing? The funny thing is they broke up, too over some other incident. <laughs> so oh. it's funny because they all ended up moving to LA and some of them, one of them lives up here. I'm not sure which one <laughs> up in a small town up North. Oh, Northern California. Yeah. Narrow it down. But yeah. you don't know what happened for Eleven rockets either. They broke up too, for some reason, but we don't know the reason. Yeah. Hmm. I remember hearing about it or something or another. Yep, year is active. 1985 to 1999, and then 2007 to 2009, and then they broke up mm. over some other incident. Or something. <laughs> An undisclosed incident. Okay, so uh, I think it was in 2018 or 2017, Peter Murphy started doing this tour as like, 25 years or 35 years of Bauhaus. And eventually, if I remember right, each member started kind of joining him. And then they decided, well, f- why don't we just do a Bauhaus reunion and do it a true reunion? And that, that yeah. was in 2019, I believe. And it's still going on. Oh. And so that's cool. And then in. They did recently release something. I played it at the beginning of this episode in May of 2020. 
oh, that's what was playing? Yeah. I was curious. I'm like, what is this? And the way they wrote that song is nobody knew exactly what the other one was writing. Oh, March of 2022. Yeah. Oh. You know what's of note of this goth rock band from the 80s? Is they're all still alive. Like, remember last year, our Gothtober, everyone was like dead from like drugs or suicide. It was like dark. <laughs> it was like, this They're is, like, all still alive. That's very good. You're very right. right about it's a, that. kind of like a positive. It's like, oh, okay, they've had some relationship issues, but you know, people grow and change and then they come back again. So, not that I don't think drugs might have been involved in some of those breakups. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> like, Would it be kind of interesting to see if this band did stay together ever since, you know, they were together? If they would have been as big as The Cure. Oh, if they just kept with being together and kept growing going, and pushing. Growing and yeah. pushing. But then there would have been a lot of different changes going on with Bauhaus. And it probably would have kept its weird sound. Mm-hmm. So uh, it'd be kind of cool to like, see if there was an, an alternate version of Bauhaus somehow. Yeah, like in the multiverse. Like that other... So... This album, though. The album, in general. Yeah, we went off on the big tangent. It was good, though. It's I like very good. I love this album. It's probably my favorite album by them. I think their other albums, like I said before, it sounds a little bit thin, personally. Mm-hmm. Especially if you listen on two good speakers. Okay. I liked this album a lot, too. It's, it's funny because I think that when I was like 18, I went to this goth club and they played King Volcano and it was mm-hmm. so crazy. Like everybody was doing that weird kind of Celtic dance and it tripped me the <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, because this album is great because it feels like an album, which sounds weird to say, but I feel like a few of our other albums we listened to this month that we were just kind of like, like it just didn't go places or something. And this one is like an album. Like there's different sounds and you go different places and it just feels very complete. And I like that there's like, Oh, uh, I don't know. There's just different sounds to it. And like, there is kind of like that gothy kind of middle ages vibe in one of the songs. Like you said, when you said Celtic dance, I was like, there is that kind of medieval sound. And then I liked the weird, like 20, it's like a very short song wasp where it's like just weird sounds. And I just thought that was kind of funny that they were experimenting with different things. Yeah. And hope to me, sounds like a velvet underground song. Yeah. And there's another song that sounds a little bit Pink Floyd to me. Yeah, you're right. It has a Pink Floyd vibe. Definitely it does. But then it has Mm -hmm. this weird undertone of like goth, which is dope. Mm -hmm. And Hope is so different, but it's good. Like it fits still. So it's not going way because there's albums that we've listened to that like just their influence is so hardcore. Each song is different. I was like, that was confusing. This, it's like they have their voice and then you kind of hear some influence in it. So it's like they... If that makes sense. Yeah, like it catch- does kind of go all over the place, but you can mm-hmm. still tell generally it's them. And that's yeah. what I do like about it. There is like one of the reasons why I didn't like um, that one band at Interpol is because of this uh-huh. album. And it, at the time when we were watching them, they were doing like dub breaks in between their songs. Like during a song, it'd do like this kind of this weird Bauhaus kind of thing. And then it would change uh-huh. into dub. I was like, who the f- wants to be Bauhaus right now these guys but you know I accept yeah you're like we already have yeah we already have Bauhaus but But then they got into your brain they got into you they got into me but their albums don't really sound like that anymore or did or I don't know Mm -hmm. they definitely did try to look like Bauhaus back in the day too that's what really pissed me off they loved Bauhaus I think it's cute it it was sketchy says no get your own identity (laughs) get your Um, own identity find (laughs) yourself I already got Bauhaus I don't need you (laughs) I'm like these I'm like Bauhaus I like them (laughs) (laughs) right so funny oh god okay so you know it's funny because when I saw them live I remember she's in parties vividly because Mm -hmm. he would pull out one of those 
those things that you blow into like a melodica or whatever. I think that's what it's called. And it had this tube it's an instrument. It's an instrument that you blow into and it goes, you know, that's the dub break. Like a flute like thing. No, it's a keyboard, but you blow into it. And wind instrument keyboard. Yeah. And it's funny because he was doing ballet while playing this thing. Like he was seriously doing spinning. Like pirouette? Yes, pirouettes. Like classic pirouettes, like with his leg folded properly and stuff. Oh, God. Seeing them live made me a super fan. I was like into them, but them live was so amazing, especially because Mm -hmm. they were broken up at the time. And then, okay, so I'm doing all these tangents. No, but uh, (laughs) It was so funny because... Okay, so first the drummer comes out, Kevin Haskins, right? And he starts like banging on his drums and And then all of a sudden you hear the bass and this fog appears with the light and the bass appears. Ah. And then that's what happened with the guitarist, right? Uh And then you start hearing Peter Murphy's voice. You're like, where the f*** is he? I hear him, but we don't see him yet. And it's like, is he going to show up in his cloud? And these two guys rolled out this television and had his (gasps) face in there. It was like, I'll be close and Everybody started losing their <laughs> sh- And I still remember it to this day. It was like so cool because you could feel the energy of like this band has not been together for over 10 years. And now they're here. We finally get to see them. And then he finally comes out and then everybody is went nuts like that's so cool yeah the antics the drama oh yeah and the whole entire time he was doing all this it was so funny dancing he was doing ballet i mean he still looked like nowadays he looks kind of like more of an older version of peter murphy but in the 90s he still looked like peter murphy like he Uh still looked like super vampire goth <laughs> Peter Murphy, and it was so funny. There was this part, there was this scene, or not scene, yeah. During this one of the songs, these two guys held up this black sheet and he was changing his outfit. And then he <gasps> like pulls out, yeah, dude. And then they put down the sheet, and he has this new outfit on. And then he was putting on his makeup, his eyeliner with this mirror <gasps> and, and then he hands it to this kid, which happens to be my friend. <gasps> he has the eyeliner to my friend. Your friend got eyeliner? From him, yeah. Oh, so cool. You didn't like rip it out of his hand. Oh, dude, people are trying to rip that shit out of his hand. Did was... you guard him where you had to be? <laughs> oh, I didn't even know where he was. I was somewhere else. Oh, okay, and... you weren't there. Okay, that's so cool though. Eyeliner, definitely a goth staple. Thinking about it now, it's kind of funny he was doing ballet, but it was very like yeah. theatric. It was amazing. When they were playing the Dead Can Dance songs, uh-huh. all these light bulbs just came down from the stage. It was really wow. cool. I mean, it was at the Warfield of all places, too. That's so rad. And did they do Bella Lugosi's Dead? Of course he did. Ugh, <laughs> that I would yeah. have lost my mind. I would have screamed the whole time. Of course they'd do that as the last song. It's the best. Like the encore song or something. Yeah, so it was really amazing. It was good. That's how I got into them. And then um, Burning from the Inside, it was definitely like, okay, this band's really good. I can appreciate them for what they are. And this album is very 1983, in my opinion. Um, It is. I feel like there's a little bit of that saxophone kind of sound somewhere. There is one, yeah. Yeah, so I I like the sexy saxophone made it. Um, (laughs) That was very early 80s, late 70s, experimental kind of no wave goth stuff yeah let's get into the sexy sax for a second here i think of new york it makes me think of new york i don't think people really understand how big the sax was back in like the late 70s early 80s even up to like late 80s it it was like this thing it was like if you had a sax and you could play you were like this sex symbol no way. Like, I bet you that guy from Psychedelic Furs who plays the sax for that band, he was just like the stud of that band. <laughs> like, probably getting like panties thrown at him all the time. Oh my God. Well, I was just thinking how popular the saxophone was in, like, it became so into pop culture because Lisa Simpson plays the saxophone of all instruments and it makes her cooler kind of and then the president at one point oh yeah david saxophone. bowie played a sax 
Yeah. Um, I mean, like, uh, I'll never forget. There's always like the scene of somebody like in a movie playing a sax on a rooftop in New York. Yes, always. It was just like this kind of this romantic thing, kind of manly romantic thing that he's just out there alone drinking a a vodka tonic with a saxophone to the moonlight. It was like kind of like you're howling to the moon with a saxophone yeah and it had that kind of like to me it also just brings in kind of that like a new york dark the lost boys soundtrack you know that i'm um, like kind of like spoken word it's very in spoken word like there'll be a little like if you're t- even on this album isn't there like a story kind of like a more of a story and then like a saxophone we played in the background because that's some of lydia lynch's work in the early 80s there's that saxophone and like kind of storytelling like spoken word type vibe. Yeah. I think in the late nineties, all of a sudden the sax became like a dorky instrument again. Or yes. Something. What is the sexy instrument today? I don't know. I can't think of it. I was like, I, I don't know like, anymore. You know, I don't know if there, what, there is was a period of time where women playing piano was kind of hot. Cause there was like Alicia Keys. Tori like, Amos. Yeah. Like it was kind of like, Oh, and, and even Lady Gaga plays piano, but I just don't feel like there's, well, yeah, we once don't again, like, thing. I think music is just not as important to a lot of kids as it was back then. Well, it's important in a different way because they're using it for their TikTok videos <laughs> and stuff. Like, people dance a lot. But they're dancing to the music or, but it's like they're playing like older songs sometimes or classics or hits. They're not like really. <sighs> well, Bart said he was, he has, he works with someone who's younger and one of his coworkers is younger. And he said that he was like playing something and he's like, kids music sounds so blended with so many different genres and influences. It's like hard to understand it. And then he said that, Oh, this kind of sounds like David Bowie. And they were like, who? And he was like, what? Like, <laughs> that's weird. Like, how would you not know what that is? Like, cause your music is like totally from them. Like, you know, like the sound, but he said, it just sounds so layered and mixed with so many different things that it's, it's hard to, I don't know. It doesn't have the same kind of strong, I think point of view or something. Anyway, tangent. Tangent. Let's, Let's play a couple songs Let's and we'll let back. everybody go. <laughs> Do you have a favorite on this album? Uh, I mean, I always like King Volcano, but yeah, it like has to go into Wasp. Yeah, so good. Do they purposely make some instrumentals on this so that Peter Murphy couldn't They sing? have vocals <laughs> like, in here. What? They have vocals in it. Oh, yeah, just later. Yeah, okay, that's the other thing I really like about this album. To me, it sounds like they're like pirate tunes. Like, they always have yeah. these weird backup vocals where it sounds like they are just pirates on a ship doing the backup vocals or something. <laughs> it has like this weird tone to it. It was kind of a magical realm, whimsical kind of sound. Yeah, like like King Volcano, but even with like when Peter Murphy's singing, the backup vocals are always like a crowd of guys. Yeah. Singing 
like the backups and it just sounds like there's a bunch of them on a ship like just sweeping the ship around or something <laughs> it's the only it's way like, i can think about it. it's like you're a goth disney um movie yeah for um, sure <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the only way i can really like think about it like in the back of my head or you have a favorite song on here I don't have like one I'm like super like I love this song I have to listen to it over and over again yet but I do think it would be fun kind of to just play Hope because of how different it's Oh yeah that's a great out song It'd be kind mean, of fun Yeah Like that song, I think Peter Murphy's not singing in that. Yeah, he's singing that. I think this is probably one of the songs. <laughs> this is one of the songs. Does this sound at all like Love and Rockets? Yeah. I'm just curious. <laughs> it's Love and Rockets is pretty interesting. Okay. I'll listen. Yeah, check about I mean check out the tones on tail first though, probably. And what and are you saying? Tomes? Tones tones on tail yeah they're really good there's only one album love and rockets still alive let's see here See, that's like the most popular song. Like that's number one on their Spotify right there. It's still mm-hmm. alive. It just has that weird 80s shame to it. That's yeah, what kind definitely. of bothers me with. Yeah. I mean, some people love it. They'll lap it up. Don't get me wrong. More power <laughs> to you. Might be your thing. So check them out. Well, I think everyone should listen to this album for this gothtober. For sure. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely good. Anyway, we should wrap this up. You could find me on all social medias under Glitch Unicorn. And I have a Fiverr where I'll edit your podcast. Oh, here, let me look it up, Fiverr. Not for five bucks, though. <laughs> yeah, you'd be lucky. But uh, you could find me on there. Uh, Takeshi is an expert podcast editor. 
He does multiple. You're lucky he's even offering services on Fiverr. <laughs> so it's, it. I think it's under glitch. No, 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 no. It's extra man two or something like that. Because he has like an ear, like obsessive ear. I guess and he I doesn't. Do. And he's got like a, a terribly high standards for things. So he does a very good job. He's not going to. I've heard it. I've heard his complaints about all the ums and uhs he had to edit for people before. So he will. He will come through. He'll get rid of your uhs and ums. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just extra man. <laughs> you'll anyway, find you'll it. find me with an X. I trust they'll find it. You can find me on Instagram as Sister Santos and Spotify Sister Santos. And what else am I doing? That's it for now, I think. Duolingo. I'm I've been practicing. <laughs> I had to take a break. I got obsessed. I got addicted. I was on it too late at night. It's like, how much Brazilian Portuguese can you learn in a day? I don't know, but they were tricking me with that whole like this verse is gonna knock you out of the top three point like level. I'm like, oh, I gotta do more lessons. And I was like, What are you doing, Elaine? You're getting obsessed with this language. Yeah. All right. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next week. <laughs>